Welcome to the PK Podcast. This is Peter King. I am the P and the K of the experience, otherwise known as the PK experience. And in this episode, I talk with Larry Hagner. Larry is the creator of The Good Dad Project, as well as the author of The Dad's Edge. His whole focus and mission in life is to help men be better fathers, and uh, among other things, of course, but that's his primary aim and uh, is doing a pretty darn good job at it. His story is remarkable. The level of suffering that he experienced and his ability to turn that into impact and contribution uh, is nothing short of remarkable. I'm excited for you to hear his story. It truly is. It's heartbreaking, but also um, incredibly inspirational. So let me know what you think. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. And here we are with Larry Hagner. Larry Hagner, thanks for joining me today, man. This has been a long time coming. I appreciate you taking the time today to chat. You've got a, a super powerful message. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here, brother. Um, so let's see. You and I met uh, a little over a year ago in Kansas City. We were out there for a men's event, and uh, you had a breakout session with a handful of guys, maybe 30 guys or so, and you shared your story and holy cow, man, what a powerful, moving story. Um, I, just in reviewing it today, I'm like, you know, I was reading through your book, The Dad's Edge, and um, just getting choked up reading it. It's such a such a heartbreaking but um, beautiful and inspiring story. I mean, it, it, I think that was one of the things that I was so impressed by you after you, you gave your talk. I was like, wow, this... How are you able to to manage the, you know this wave of emotions up and down? So before we get into all that, why don't we um, just let the listeners know a little bit about who you are and what the Dad's Edge is and how you got to be doing what you're doing? Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so I mean, what the so I founded the Good Dad Project back in 2012, and it was really just out of my own just complete and total struggle as a father. Not much has changed in six years. I still <laughs> struggle with it. Uh, every day I am what, what you call an imperfect moron father from time to time. And the podcast and the mission just gives me an excuse to keep learning because <laughs> God knows I need it. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's what I do. I mean, I, I don't, I don't pretend to be a, uh, an expert in fatherhood. I've, I've learned a, I've learned a thing or two, but, uh, you know, I, I, I'm always learning. I mean, that's that's why I founded the the podcast in 2015, and then the the book, yeah, the Dad's Edge. So I, I wrote that in 2015, and that was that was kind of a big risk for me because like I was like, well, man, like I'm not an expert, but I think that's I think that's why you know the book maybe did take off the way it did in hindsight, just because like every book that I read, I always felt like the author was kind of like writing down to me, talking down to me, and mm-hmm. you know the way I wrote the Dad Edge was was I, I imagined it, imagined a conversation with my best friend, mm. you know, to where like, Hey, we're arm in arm. Like I kind of, I'm not very good at this too, but I have learned a few things. And if I could share a few things, either or simple, cause that's how men are wired is simplicity. Uh, you know, it, it might help. So, uh, yeah, yeah, that's why I wrote the, the, the dad edge book. And then 2016, we, we launched the dad edge mastermind and now we have the dad edge Alliance, which is our mastermind community. And, and I changed the name from the Good Dad Project podcast to the Dad Edge podcast back in January. Just, just a little bit of a rebranding. It's still the same thing, but, but just a little bit of a rebranding. Yeah, that's uh, there's an interesting story to that. I think just in why that appeals to men perhaps more than the other one. Why do you think that is? So, so you went from the good. What was it again? The good. Good Dad Project. 
podcast to the the but everything you can find everything you find about me is on gooddadproject.com but i just changed the name of the the podcast right yeah so <laughs> so i think you know i it took me probably a good year and i'll i'll explain why i changed things it took me about a good year to really understand what what really speaks to men and you know for a long time i thought it was kind of fluffy sensitive stuff like that's literally what i thought it was and it didn't even feel right to me so if you've listened to my first 50 episodes on the good dad project i'm sorry <laughs> it was i was still trying to find my voice and my brand and and then after that i finally did i was like okay now now i really understand uh what men resonate with what i resonate with and what what makes this brand what it is now uh so yeah, I, ch- I changed the name just because um, it, it's still the same content, but it's a it's just a little bit, for lack of a better word, maybe edgier. And I talk about things that are maybe somewhat quote unquote dangerous to talk about, you know, like porn and uh, screen time and and alcohol and all kinds of other things, you know, that that you know guys like to kind of some guys like to stay away from. However, on the down low, they really like to hear that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, they'll, they'll quietly listen to it, you know, like, so I'll give you an example. So like I did a whole episode on porn and when you blast that out on social media, <laughs> it doesn't get many likes cause no one's like, oh, I don't know if I want to like that, right. but it got the sickest amount of downloads of any show, That's you know, when you have, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, I mean the reason I just changed it was cause I was like, okay, like I, I think what men I think really resonated with is, is not necessarily being associated with like, okay, I'm an ongoing project, even though we all are. We're always growing. We're always dynamic. But what men really resonate with is give me give me tools in an arsenal that give me that edge. Mm-hmm. You know, they they give me that step up in life, and that's that's why I changed the name because mm-hmm. that's really that is what we do as well. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, and and just in my experience in working with guys, the the sense of clarity, the sense of vision, um, and then obviously the tactics, the tools, whoever to help us achieve a certain goal is uh, paramount, I think, in the masculine experience. Um, if we could, I, I I sort of hesitate to even ask you some of these questions because I know how much of an emotional um, roller coaster it can be, and and I want to be sensitive to the fact that you've probably shared this story a million times and, and I'm sure people can find it if they wanted to, are you willing to kind of go back a little bit and give us the overview of, of your upbringing, your, your relationship to your various father figures and then of course what happened with you and and your family? Yeah. Yeah. And if you want, um, I actually have a a newer story that, Mm. that I, I, I use it now at speaking events and what I've found is it really resonates uh, with men. It really hits home in a big way. Uh, it, it really illustrates what, what I like to call, uh, and what Garrett white as well calls the pit, you know, where men are in the pit and what do we do when we don't ask for help and all kinds of things and things can get really, really dark. Mm-hmm. So I can, I can definitely share with you some things on that. And then, yeah, but it, as far as my childhood, is that where you want me to start? Sure. That'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. So I was born in 1975. My parents were born or, uh, married in 1971. They were married for four years, had me nine months old. They got divorced and it was a really, really bitter, horrible divorce. And after that, my dad left and I, I don't necessarily understand why he left. I just know that the, the divorce was was so bad that I think at that point in time in his life, he was just like, well, this is, you know, this is the choice I'm making, even though I don't feel good about it. But he did. So in, in uh, when I was four, 1979, he signed over parental rights to a man my mom was marrying and that man adopted me. 
Now, here's kind of a funny story. So when I was four, I, re- I remember this vividly like it was yesterday. Here I am, 43. I re- literally remember it like it was yesterday. I remember being four and I remember being a preschool and I remember men coming to pick up their kids and I knew that was a dad. And I just I knew I didn't have a dad, but then I didn't I didn't feel anything like I was missing or anything like that. I just, you know, in my mind, you know, moms go out and they find dads. So I'll never forget the first time my mom brought home a guy and it was a guy that she worked with, white collar, you know, worker. He came in a suit, three piece suit, briefcase, the whole 1970s mustache going on. Uh, and I'll never forget when this guy walked in and I knew what dad was. Like when he walked in, my mom introduced me to him. And the first question I asked him was, are you going to be my dad? And you know, it was super awkward. And it was literally the first words that rolled off my mouth. But so innocent, and, man. I could just see a little boy going, hey, like finally, cool. This is yeah, great. yeah. Finally have a dad. Yeah, she found him. There he is. Yeah. Sweet. Well, oh. lo and behold, though, they, they did get married, though. Uh, and then he adopted me. So uh, they got they were married till the time I was five until the time I was ten. And he was a great guy, really nice guy, although he did have a bit of a drinking habit. And when he did drink, man, it got it got it got really rough, you know. So uh, they split when I was ten, you know, and I have not I haven't seen him since. And wow. in fact, here's kind of a crazy st- as coincidence would have it, you know, I lost him, you know, thirty three years ago. I haven't seen actually I, I take that back. I did see him once when I was twenty one. I was dating this girl in college. I was a freshman year in college. I was home for the summer and I went to this bar and he was a doorman mm. at this bar. And I was like, oh my God. And this is the guy that I knew that was like a data software engineer, you know, and I was like, holy cow. But, you know, our 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 conversation was super brief, super awkward, you know, and I just, we just kind of went to a different bar. Yeah. But uh, I just found out that he passed away, and the only reason I found out is because a private investigator contacted me and told me that he left me a life insurance policy with a little bit of money in it, and I was his only living legacy heir. So, oh. I mean, not not much, but it was a little bit. And so, anyway, but yeah, I just found out he passed away. Well, just that, the, just the thought of him thinking of you, did, did that have an impact on you at all, or was it? Yeah, I don't even think he was thinking of me. I think it was just the fact that he had a life insurance policy. And according to this private investigator, he's like, you're the only living heir that this guy even had. Like, oh, you, oh, know, you weren't listed as a beneficiary. You were just getting the estate, basically. Just getting it because, wow. like, I was his son on paper. So Okay, got it. And, yeah, so he was he was gone by the time I was 10. By the time I was 12, um, yeah, I ran into my biological father for the first time. So we met, we hung out for like three months, and I'm not going to go into the details, but we ended up parting ways, and that was really rough. Um, he had gotten remarried, had a two-year-old son, another one on the way, and we parted ways. So at that point, by the time I was 12, I lost my biological father, lost my stepdad, and then lost my biological father again. And I'm not saying that for pity. Uh, I'm just saying it for context. I, I'm thankful for my past because it it's definitely given me some hard lessons on appreciating what I have now and and making different decisions for me and my family. But I will say this. Uh, you know, I, I hit a really horrible, dark, dark, rocky time at 12 and at 13. I failed eighth grade just because I gave up. Literally got straight F's and everything. Uh, just, gave, just gave up. Totally gave up. I had to repeat the eighth grade all over again. Had to go to a different school. And uh, that was humiliating. Yeah. And then went to high school. My mom dated and even remarried again. And every guy she dated and even a couple, you know, one guy lived with us. I mean, they were just nightmares, you know, just toxic, crazy nightmare experiences. And so, so you know, she, I just. She remarried again while you were in high school? She got remarried again. So she had a guy who was living with us for two years when I was in high school. And then in 1996, she got remarried again. So I was already go- I was already gone out of the house in college at that time. But, you know, she she did get remarried. Yeah. Okay. So this is essentially dad number three. 
in the in the history for you, father figure number three, so to speak? I guess you could say father figure number four because we did have that guy who lived with us for a couple of years when okay. I was fifteen, and okay. oh my god, that that was probably the worst. Like he was just a a nightmare, just mentally, physically abusive. He just was. A raging alcoholic. I mean, this guy was awful, and he had a son too that was awful. So it was it was crazy experience. But but that but to finish off the whole story. So by the time I was thirty, uh, I was married for a couple years at the time. Uh, my wife and I were expecting our first son, and I was in a coffee shop with a coworker of mine, and uh, here in St. Louis, and my biological father walked in the door, and totally unexpected. And I knew who he was because it had been twenty years, and he hadn't changed much, just a little older excuse me, a little rounder and, uh, it was him. So, uh, we ended up talking and now here we are 13 years later and we've got a good relationship and he's still married to the same woman. And I have two half brothers that I'm actually really close to. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So it it has a happy ending, but I would say growing up the way I did, uh, to to basically end this whole story is I, I grew up trying to look back on a blueprint and an example that I grew up with. And I had I didn't have that. I, I did have an amazing grandfather though. He was, he was awesome. And he, I, he, I guess he was probably the positive father figure in my life. Is that, is that your mom's dad or your dad's dad? Yeah. Yeah. It was my mom's dad. He was a really, really great guy. And, uh, so I learned a lot of great valuable lessons from him. However, you know, I just was like, man, like I, I know what not to do. You know, I know like all these things I shouldn't, do. but the, it was the simple things that just like to just, ate away at me. It was like my patience. It was my work-life balance. It was the fact that I sought validation in the workforce or in my hobbies. You know, I, my marriage wasn't the best in the beginning, you know, fatherhood. I had just had a horrible temper, you know, for a while. And I was just like, God bless, there's gotta be a better way. And that's when in 2012, I was just like, I'm sick and tired of, of living like this. And I'm just going to surrender my ego and try to figure this thing out, you know, the best way I can. And I, and that was a freeing moment, but also humbling to say, I don't understand fatherhood. In fact, I'm really bad at it, but I'm willing to learn. And I, everything I searched for, I was just like, I can't really find what I'm looking for. You know, I can find parenting books and all that, but I just want to be a better guy at the end of the day. So that's when I just sought out the blog and just started talking to more people and seeking out mentors and coaches and masterminds and, you know, and, and that, and now it is what it is today, which man, it's a, just a thriving community and I'm, I'm humbled by it. And it, men have come out of the woodwork because they struggle with the same thing I do. Yeah. So it's really, it's really branched out from just being a good dad into how do we be good men as well? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. The, the five dimensions that I always talk about how men operate in, well, fathers, you know, I, I really, really, yes, being a better man is great, but I, it really, I think fathers face more things than the average man, okay? Most men are married, but if you take like a younger guy in his 20s who's single, probably doesn't have the same things that we're up against. So I always say that men operate in five dimensions. We have our health, which includes physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, uh, relationship with our wife. So that's another one. Relationship with our kids. A lot of people are like, well, that's family. You know, relationship with your wife and kids. Yeah, but that relationship is very, very different. Very different. Yeah. So you got to separate them what we do for a living. So how do we, how we provide and the significance and the validation we get there and then finances. It's another big topic. That's it's another op, another dimension we operate in. If you look at anything that we men talk about, it's always within those five dimensions. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so if you're, if you're willing to share what with your, uh, with Gabriel, are you willing to share that yeah. story? 
Yeah, okay. yeah, sure. I'm, a, I'm an open book. Okay. <laughs> well, you have the book. That's the thing. It's yeah. like, man, it's like I said, it's it's quite a journey, and and I could totally understand if you're like, you know what, it's in the book. Go read the book. <laughs> but no, if you're willing no. to share it, I, it, it, I think it really helps. You know, bookends this whole your yeah. your life's journey and why you're really doing what you're doing and the power um, of your message and your voice in this whole thing. So, um, oh, share with share with the listeners what happened. When yeah. You so have a family. If, if you look at the Dad Edge book, it's nine chapters. It was originally going to be eight. Uh, so, I, you know, nine simple ways to have unlimited patience, positive, lasting memories. Uh, it was going to be eight. And then Vaughn Kohler, of all people, was my editor. Vaughn is the, the co-host of the MFCEO with Andy Frisella. I've known Vaughn. I know Vaughn, knew Vaughn before he even was co-hosting with Andy. He's a ghostwriter, editor. And so I gave the book to Vaughn and... Vaughn was actually the one who challenged me because we had just gone through that when I gave him the final copy and he sat down with me uh, over coffee and he's like, hey man, look, you know, good book. You know, it's simple, it's easy. I think it'll, it'll be effective. However, you need to add another chapter. And I'm like, okay, what about? And he's like, what you just went through. And I was like, you're insane. You are absolutely insane. I can't even talk about it, more or less write about it. And and what I'm talking about is is my wife and I losing one of our sons. And he's like, look, you know, you did a good job helping men through the little stuff, but you got to give some advice on how to get through the big. And I was like, so it took me 90 days to write those last 20 pages because I was, I could not do it in one fail swoop. In fact, I procrastinated a lot. I did it in stages and, and, but I did it and I handed it over to him and I was like, you know, basically I was like, F you (laughs) in a loving way. Uh, but but at the same time I was like, okay, you know, thank you for making me do that. I was like, let me know what you think. And he called me after he read it. He's like, that's, that's how you need to end it. That's, that's what you need to do. So yeah, I'll, I'll explain it. In 2014, my wife and I were, we found out we were pregnant with our, at the time, oh boy, Okay, our fourth at the time. I lose I lose count. I have four boys, so I'm trying to think like the order they went in. At the time, he was going to be our fourth. So uh, we found out 10 weeks in, because my wife was over 35, that he had a rare genetic condition called trisomy 13. And what that basically means is um, it's, it's a fancy way of saying your child's going to be born and none of his organs are going to work. Um, so it's a, it's a gen- genetic mutation where... Uh, you know, it rarely happens. One in, I can't remember how many, but only 13 kids is they either, I think 30% will miscarry. And if you go full term, they'll usually pass away within seven days after birth. Yeah. That's even if they survive the birth. So my wife and I were handed that news in October of 2014. And we were like, Whoa. like, I, how do you even comprehend that? You know, knowing that your wife is carrying a baby that will not live. Like it's the first thing you think about when you wake up. It's the last thing you think about when you go to bed and every minute in between, it was like the elephant in the room. It created so much stress and tension. I'm not proud to say this, but you know, I, I asked the doctor, well, what do we do? What are our options? She's like, you got three of them. None of them are good. I'm just letting you know. The first one is you terminate child won't live anyway. Uh, the second one is, uh, you go full term and allow the baby to die on its own. Or the third is you miscarry. And she's like, but you only have a 30% chance that it'll miscarry. Just letting you know the numbers. She's like, most people terminate, you know, when they get news like this, just because they know that the baby's not going to survive. And I was like, oh my God. So my wife and I really batted around it and I, I'm, I'm ashamed to admit this, but my first default was like, well, let's, we got to terminate. And it was, for me, it wasn't an easy decision, but it was the easiest because I was like, to me, it's felt almost inhumane to 
for my wife, for my kids, for my son to go full term. I was like, that almost seems irresponsible of me because he's at that stage now where there is no pain, even though morally I feel it's not the right thing to do. Right. I, mean, I, was, I, I know you wouldn't have felt morally that it was the right thing to do, but often the caveat is always unless it potentially affects the health of the mother. And in this, right. that was such a real case for you that I think you entertaining that idea was certainly feasible even within the realm of, of morality. I know you're a man of faith so and a pro-life guy. So like that would be the one case where I think pro-life would be pro-life of my wife, of my mother, of the mother of my children, you know. So I, I hear what you're saying. And, and I know, I mean, gosh, to wrestle with that would have been, I can't even imagine. Uh, so anyway, so after, so you guys were thinking about termination. We were. We were thinking about termination, and I, I actually was like, yes, we, this is what we need to do. My wife wasn't necessarily on board, and then after a while, you know, we decided, I decided, kind of she did too, but reluctantly, like, okay, like, we, we need to do that. So the night before we were supposed to do it, you know, I went to her, she was in the kitchen, and there was just, like, this cloud hovering over our heads, you know, like, the whole time. Like, we just didn't really feel like we were doing the right thing. And I went to her and she was in the, in the kitchen and I was like, I, I remember being in our, ma in our master bedroom and I was, I was praying and I was, I was sitting there and I just felt like this nudge, you know, just be like, this is not what you want to do. Call it divine intervention, call it whatever you want. But I, I felt that nudge and I went to my wife and I was like, look, I don't know about you, but I can't do this. I just can't like, maybe we just postpone this, think about it. We didn't have much more time to think about it because there gets to be a point where you it's the decision no longer up to you. You have to figure that out. So we decided my wife was relieved to hear me say that. So we didn't go a week later. We were in a counseling appointment and we had decided both of us on board. We were going to go full term with this kid and we knew he was a boy and you know, we were just like, okay, this is what we're going to do as dark. It, it felt very stressful, but at the same time it felt somewhat right you know, because I was like the, the way the counselor told us, like, look, you know, he was made from love, like let him pass away feeling love. And I was like, OK, that well, makes the, the other thing that the counselor told you, because um, I was reviewing your book that I thought was just brilliant of his part was you are in alignment with with life as two yeah. individuals, which could be very different for somebody else. But for you guys, you guys are 100 percent in alignment with life. And if you were to terminate, you would violate your own values, your own standards for what you feel is what's right in the world. I thought that was really brilliant advice for him to see the direction in which you and your wife were going in and as far as your value system and and give you that perspective that says, hey, because he kind of extrapolated it out. If you terminate, this could potentially this is going to eat away at you for the rest of your life. If you if you go pro life, you're still going to be in alignment. You'll be surrounded by loved ones. I, I thought that was really really good advice on his part. Yeah, yeah, and you know that that's absolutely true. I mean, that that was the thing I think also that really convinced me was like, this will be something that when people ask about it, we're going to lie about it. You know, we're we're going to say, oh, it miscarried or or whatever else, and we would have known the truth, and we would that would have eaten away with that us. Would have been a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's just, yeah, anyway. Um, but so December 2014, what happened was is, and what I'm going to tell you is, is graphic, uh, however, and traumatic, but however, there was peace with it. So on December 28, 2014, my wife and I were getting ready to go to celebrate Christmas at my in-laws. 
my wife was getting ready and she ran into the bathroom and she was bleeding out. And, uh, what had happened was that she was in labor. So what happened was is I, I called my neighbors and I'm like, look, cause my two older ones were there. And I was like, look, you need to get my two older ones out of this house. Like it's, you know, so they did. And, um, paramedics came and we delivered my son. Uh, my wife was in labor. We delivered my son on, on our bathroom floor and I saw him, my wife held him. Um, you know, and it, it was awful. It was peaceful. It was traumatic and it was refreshing all, all at the same time. Like I, I can't even describe the words. All I know is, is that there was that part of me, like I can't, like there was that part of me is like, I can't even comprehend what I'm seeing right now. And it was, and we went to the hospital and then we buried my son, you know, five days later. And what, what I can tell you about that experience was now that I'm, you know, four years from it is that that was a gift. You know, it was hard to go through, but it was a gift because it wasn't up to us. Uh, he didn't feel any pain. I didn't have to, we didn't have to go full term. So we didn't have to go another six months. Uh, he didn't pass away with tubes and all kinds of other things that, and that my, my two older sons would have witnessed all that. Um, and I'm really glad about that because even to this day, my 10 year old has a very hard time with it. Like he's never gotten over it. He was six at the time that we told him and we didn't think a six year old could even comprehend what we told him. And we didn't tell him the graphic stuff. We just told him that you know, we lost him and he lost it, like lost it, lost it. And then this past summer, uh, we had what was called the dad edge summit in June and it was on my son's birthday because we celebrate it every year. It was June 8th. That, that would have been his birthday. And we were, I was in a room full of 75 men who had come to that dad edge summit. My 10 year old was there and we were sort of celebrating that, that that was his day. And I turned around and my 10 year old was just a mess. Mm. And I was like, and I looked at him, I was like, what's wrong? And he, he was just like, it brought back so many bad memories that he was just like, I, I, I can't, I can't think about this. Like it's, it makes me so sad and he lost it. And I ended up having to carry him out of that room mm. with 75 people. And it was just like, I, you, you just always kind of think the kids have gotten past that, but he still hasn't. Ah, that's I, I feel for him. Um, yeah, that must have been hard to hear that news and have that expectation, and then have that not go out. The you know not, not go the way you wanted it to, obviously. Um, and, and I'm sure he's probably witnessing you guys, you know, and and seeing his mom and dad carry the weight of this. Um, uh, poor kid. Poor yeah, kid. yeah, I yeah. I mean, we. Um... I, de I definitely think, yeah, I mean, we're, we're still trying to help him through that. Sure. You know? Yeah. So you, you started saying that, that, that this is a gift and like mm -hmm. just the notion of you seeing, um, the passing of your, of your, of your son as a gift, that in and of itself to me is the, the difference between a person who can see that as a gift versus somebody who understandably in that case, I mean, that's a very traumatic and very difficult thing, but, but then to not be able to rebound from that, or at least pull yourself together enough to, to live still a productive, healthy, fulfilling life, um, really, I think speaks to the heart of what your message is all about, which is living life from a place of abundance in, in thought. And as opposed to being a victim, you talk about, um, the victim mindset versus a strength mindset. Can you give an example, um, 
of of how you how, how does one do that? How does one come from a place of a strength mindset given such a traumatic experience? I, I would answer that the exact same way you said it, which is if you can use your your struggles and your trauma to strengthen you. I mean, if you think about it, like when you go to the gym, what are you doing? You're breaking your muscles down. Mm-hmm. They're going through trauma in order to become stronger. So, I mean, as 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 horrible, and, and I do have one more story for you if you want to hear it about trauma yes. that that has definitely made me stronger. But you know, the, if you can embrace, like like what the seals say, if you can embrace the suck, and and know this too shall pass, whatever this is, and it will make me stronger. That's the hard. That's the hardest part is going through that, because usually what's on the other side is amazing things, like. When, when light, and this is taking a lot of discipline, a lot of practice, but one of the things that I do now is like when I'm going through a horrible time, I'm like, God, this sucks. But I know right on the other side of this, there's going to be something amazing and I just don't see it yet, but it's going to be there. So that's what I I think when, when you look at something like that, you also have to, the, the quickest way to get there is gratitude. The quickest way to get there is gratitude. When we, when we have that victim mindset, we are asking ourselves, "Why me? Why this happened to happen to me?" And that's the way our brains are wired. You ask you ask yourself a question; it's going to give you the answer. The problem is, is that we we ask ourselves poor questions. Why me? Why does this have to happen to me? It's going to tell you why you. You know, and instead of thinking like, "Well, I know that this is tough," however, what are some good things in my life that I can really reflect upon right now? And that. Focusing in on gratitude. I mean, it's a proven fact that negativity will actually slow down brain function by thirty percent. So a negative mindset will actually make you dumber. That's really what that means. There's, well, and not only that, but there's a lot of studies that are coming out now that that empirically show that that negative mindset creates stress in the body, cre- releases chemicals that affects you, that affects your 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 body, that creates disease, that um, it affects your physical health the way yeah. you think. So uh, this is not just you know, frou-frou stuff. This isn't pretty powerful. I mean, it, it changes the entire trajectory of one's life. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. I wanted to share really quickly on page 83 of your book, this, I wanted to just give an example to people who are listening, the difference between a victim mindset and a, what you call a strength mindset. Um, this is after, let's see, this is after you, uh, your son passed on, or uh, perhaps it was leading into it, but you said, uh, every time I heard the voice of defeat creeping in saying, and so, and then you give an example of the, this, if we should, if we can call it the victim mindset, you said, Jessica and I are going through a really rough time in our marriage and I don't know if we're going to make it. We fight over the smallest things. We are no longer close and feel extremely distant from each other. Every time we see each other, all we can think about is the anger we feel that we're going to, that we are going to watch our son die. Therefore, all we do is fight. This will most likely tear us apart, which to me is a very, understandable story that one tells themselves in that type of experience. But what you did was you fought back. And this is, this is, I think the takeaway message that I want people to to have from your story is that uh, you say, I consciously challenged myself to rewrite my perspective. You're literally rewriting your story, putting yourself on a different path. And this is what you, you ultimately grounded yourself with. This is the, the upgraded story, if you will, coming from a place of a strength mindset. 
Jessica and I are going through a challenging time. I don't know the reasons why right now. However, I know some way and somehow this is meant to make us stronger. In times where I feel we are drifting due to stress or uncertainty, I will give 100% of myself to her in every mental, emotional, and physical way possible. When we see each other's faces on a daily basis, we will hug a little longer and give 100% empathy and support to each other. We will get through this. We will survive this. Our marriage will not suffer. It will make us stronger. That That is it. And it was a choice. And you got to choose from a place of unlimited, abundant energy, source, God, divine power, whatever you want to call it. I know what you call it, but for the listeners, whatever you want to tap into, um, that ability to rewrite your stories right there. This is anyway, I, I think that's I think it was really good advice of your your editor to, to have this last story in there because it gives you the depth to say I've not only you know I'm not only talking the talk but I walk the walk in in the most difficult way possible. Very yeah, powerful. thank you. Yeah, shout out to the pastor of disaster, Vaughn Kohler, DJ DJ God as Andy calls him on the MFCEO. <laughs> um, so you mentioned another traumatic story. I haven't I haven't heard this one yet. What's yeah, so not not many people have, uh, and it's something that I, I have, to be all, all honest, like have shied away from sharing. And then I shared it, I've shared it at speaking events now, and I, I've I've understood like it 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 helps people now. So I and I get that, and I think I'm far enough along now where. Uh, so what what I'm going to share is it's it's not something that I'm necessarily proud of. Uh, but maybe it'll speak to somebody who's listening right now who's going through a dark time. So uh, in 2017, last year, a year and a half ago, uh, it was the end of February, I really hit a snag for some reason, and I didn't know why at the time. Uh, it was going pretty good. That's when I first, uh, you know, we had been doing the Data Edge Masterminds for a year. We had just launched what we now call the Alliance. Um, things were going really, really good. I was training for... Um, an event called the seal fit 20 X, uh, which was a crucible event. So I was training really, really hard. I'd been training for about a year. And I, I think what I was doing was I was literally maxing myself out physically and mentally. I mean, I was training just absolutely ridiculously, um, trying to get ready for this thing. Cause it's, it, they take 12 hours of the Navy seal 50 hour hell week and they put you through it. That's that, that's what this crucible was. So I'll never forget it. I went through a like a two and a half hour workout where I was really really training. Did just trained absolutely stupid and brainless. Like I I I think I did like I think it was like nine different movements, twenty rounds. It came out to be like thirteen hundred repetitions of all kinds of just stuff like burpees and push ups and um, pull ups and I had a weighted vest on. And so anyway, I I'll never forget that night. Um, and I was pushing really hard on a lot of other things in my life, both professionally and uh, personally. And I just remember like going into the mirror that night and looking at myself and going like, like what is wrong with my eyes? And like, they were really, really red and there were, there were bags underneath of them. And then that night I just didn't sleep right. And then the next night I didn't sleep right. And then the next night, and then the next night, when I say not sleep right, I mean, I was only sleeping about an hour and a half. Mm. So I go to bed at like midnight, wake up at one thirty, and then I was up and this went on for gosh, uh, about a week. And then I was like, this is not right. And then it went on for another week. Finally, tw after 12 days, I, I made a, uh, I'll never forget it. I was in New York and I was just like beyond exhausted. And I was just like, I got to get home. 
And I went home, grabbed my grabbed the first flight home, got into my doctor's office, and I was like, I can't, I can't sleep. Something's wrong. It's been 12 days. I'm sleeping like an hour, hour and a half a night, two hours at most. And they're like, oh, no, no problem. We'll put you on Ambien. You'll be fine. Tried that. Uh, that didn't work. Then they tried me on something else called Trazodone. That didn't work. Um, and all I did was basically all I did then was, is I still got the same amount of sleep. I just felt way worse cause I was medicated. So that went on for another week. So now I'm two weeks in and then I ended up in the ER cause I was just like, I couldn't function. I was up to the point where I was getting physically ill. I was losing a lot of weight. I had probably dropped about 10 pounds in two weeks at that point cause I couldn't eat cause I was so sick. And then they put me on something else. I can't remember what it was. That didn't work. Then the next week I ended back up in my primary care doctor's office. They put me on, I can't remember, it was something else, some sort of sleep aid. That didn't work. And it was up to the point now where I'd never, even though I'd been through a lot of adversity as a kid and, and all that, but like I'd never really had anxiety or depression. You know, I wasn't bipolar or anything like that. And I had, I started getting panic attacks. And I used to think, this is where I think it's made me stronger because people who would tell me that they're depressed or have panic attacks, I was like, what's wrong with you? Like it's in your head, mm -hmm. you know? And, but these were uncontrollable. Like I would actually feel anxiety, like, like these pins and needles through my shoulders and then down my fingers. And I was like, what is going on? Like I, and it was always anxiety around when it was nighttime, like the sun would go down and you know, I, I just was terrified that I was going to have another night because there's nothing scarier than, you laying in your bed next to your wife, not being able to sleep, and all you have is your thoughts. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just quiet. Mm -hmm. So that next week, I ended up in the ER again. I ended up in the ER twice in my primary care physician office uh, three times. Finally, after 33 days of this, I had lost almost 25 pounds. I, I'm, I weigh about 190. I was below 170. I'm six foot, almost six foot one, um, so I was really skinny. And I was in a really dark place because I couldn't work because I couldn't function. I had zero temperament for my kids. So, cause I was exhausted. My wife and I could not have sex cause I couldn't perform cause I was so tired. Um, I was basically what I felt was a, a burden to everyone. Like I can't provide, I'm not a good father. I cannot please my wife. Like all those five dimensions I'm talking about, like health and relationship with your wife, relationship with your kids, providing of finances, all that was just crumbling. What, so, what were you feeling anxious about? So I had anxiety because I couldn't sleep and I couldn't okay. sleep because I had anxiety. Oh, man. So literally it was this vicious cycle. So I had anxiety around, oh my God, I hope I can't, if I don't go to sleep tonight, like I'm going to freak out. And then because I couldn't sleep, I had that I had anxiety. It was just my mind couldn't rest. Oh, wow. So um, long story, I, my wife and I had planned a trip to um, Great Wolf Lodge. It was at the end of March. And I was in a very dark place mentally to the point where I wasn't going to be around much longer. And I even remember calling my uh, financial advisor and asking, what are the stipulations on my life insurance policy? You know, God forbid something happened to me. And so I, I went and I talked to my, after I talked to one of the guys in the Alliance and they told, they encouraged me to talk to my wife and my wife was getting ready to leave for great wolf lodge and she was going to go with all my kids. So I was going to, I was going to be at home by myself. And to be honest, I didn't trust myself because I was just like, 
I can't do this. Like I cannot be in this house for four days by myself, not sleeping. I will literally go insane. So I looked at my wife and I was like, I'm going to ask you something and it's going to scare you, but will you please not go? And she's like, why? And I was like, cause I don't know if I'll be here when you get back. And that hit her. Like, I think she really then knew like, this is serious. Like 30, 33 days. I mean, I don't know anybody who, who can do that. Um, so I, I, I went to the ER. I had a doctor come to me and he basically asked me, you know, are, are you, are you having thoughts? Are you having suicidal thoughts? Are you, and, and at that point in time, like I can really understand them. The reason I'm sharing the story is because I can understand a man's mentality around when they feel like they've lost everything. And now you feel like you're a burden to everybody. And I told him, I was like, look, I'm not suicidal today, but I cannot promise you a week from now. If this keeps going, I, I can't foresee being here. And he was like, look, you need to be admitted to the hospital. And I was like, yeah, I do. Thank you. Like, that's why I'm here. Like every, the past two times I've been to the ER, they send me home with another prescription telling me that medically, like they can't do anything for me. He's like, well, med- medically we can't. And I was like, well, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we can, we're going to put you in the hospital, but it's going to be in the department of the hospital you're not going to like. And I was like, what are you talking about? So long story short, he's like, look, you know, we need to put you in the behavioral side. So the, basically the psych ward. And I was like, and in my mind, I was like, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking padded rooms, you know, like all this, cra- it was being surrounded by crazy people. And I was just like, I'd rather go home. Like, that's what I told him. He's like, look, you can. He's like, but I think we both know you're not going to last very long there. He's like, and by the way, you know, there's three levels to psych wards. Level one is normal people just going through a rough time. Like they're not insane. So allow us to. Is that where he he said you would be at? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I agreed. I agreed to go. And it was by far the hardest thing I've ever done because even though it was pretty normal people, they were going through a really rough time. My wife was only able to see me 6 to 7 p.m. every night. Uh, the floor that I was on, the rooms were open, but the floor was locked. Um, they had to come and check on everybody every 15 minutes. You know, and we could, we could move around our rooms and in the lobby and that kind of thing. We just couldn't leave the floor. Uh, but I saw things in that hospital that have never really gotten past. You know, like I saw one of the patients try to attack one of the nurses. I saw another guy jump over the nurse's station and start throwing computers. And I'm just like, Oh my God, I can't even believe I'm here. And, um, so they tried me on a couple different medications. Luckily they, they found the right formula and I came home, came home. What did they find out? What was the issue? So here's the thing. So medical testing, everything was normal. Right. And I was just like, and I kept asking the doctors, well, what about like my hormone levels, my testosterone, like all this other stuff, right? Cortisol. I went home and did those tests myself. So I ordered them myself through a functional medicine doctor. Turns out my adrenal system was fried. I was just like, going to say, adrenal yeah. fatigue. Yeah. With all the it's, working out that you're doing for yeah. the seal fit thing. Wow. Yeah. So adrenal fatigue was the culprit. My cortisol levels, like they did a 24 hour cortisol and literally at 9 PM at night, my cortisol levels would spike out of control, like almost like I was awake. And she's like, this is why you can't sleep. We need to regulate your system again. Like everything is completely whacked out. And I was like, well, why in the world medically don't they do this stuff? She's like, that's not what they're, why. you know, you, if you had good blood pressure and cholesterol and, and you know, they'll send you back home. So 
I went through, you know, uh, I, I repaired all that. I'm good now. But I will say this. Here's, here's the other thing that experience put me through. Six months after this happened, I still had that anxiety, just not nearly as intense, but it was always, always like this shadow in the room. God, what if it happened again? What if it happened again? And I just had a lot of stress, a lot of pressure and tension, like just always on the lookout of that happening again. I finally went and saw a counselor and he started asking me like 30 questions. And he's like, you've got, you've got some issues here. And I was like, what's that? He goes, you have PTSD. Hmm. And I was like, PTSD. I was like, don't, isn't that only for military? He's like, nope. He said it, any traumatic event that imprints your mind will then continue to imprint you until you deal with it. And I was like, wow. So, and then I started working through that. Now here I am 18 months later and I can referring to your son passing presumably. No, no, no. PTS is in going through the sleep thing and then being hospitalized for oh, it. PTS from that. I wasn't sure yeah. that an earlier episode. Okay. No, no. So from from that. So that's why I say like I share that story because even though it's 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 insane, right? But I share that story because I've been doing our mastermind community and working with fathers and the Dad Edge Alliance, and I can't even tell you how many men have shared with me that at one point in time in their life they have been suicidal or they've thought about it. And that blows my mind because I'm always, I was always just really naive to that. What that's done now, though, is it's given me the tools. And I'm by no means a professional, but it allows me to give them a lot more empathy because I was there, too. And I can tell you when a man is in the pit, there could be a guy right now listening to this podcast and they're like, holy crap, like I am in the pit. That's what we call it, where those five dimensions are starting to crumble and you feel like you're nothing more than a burden. So why be here? Mm-hmm. And so I look back on that now and I'm so glad that I did the hardest thing in the world for men to do and that's ask for help. Like being able to look at that doctor in the eye and say, and with every fiber of my being, I did not want to go there because I was like, how humiliating is this? This is awful. But I knew that I would not survive. So to, to, to again humble myself and say, okay, I, I, I need the help. Like I'm not going to get out of this by myself. That was the hardest thing to do and that's what I – Incur, you know, the biggest thing we talk about with, with our men in the alliance is asking for help when you need it. And men do, which is good. Uh, it's, 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 I agree with you. I was just talking to a buddy yesterday and how many women are just very, you know, they're, they're wired to connect and they're wired to reach out and they're wired to have community and, and offer each other reassurance. It's a really beautiful thing to witness. And so many guys just have their blinders on. We're focused on the target and we're isolated, but we're isolated collectively. <laughs> we're all, you know, we're all got our heads down in isolation, trying to hack through life, trying to figure shit out. And, and very rarely, at least in our, in, in a lot of uh, men's experiences, very rarely are we just looking up and, and going, I, I don't know if I have all the answers and I could use a little help. So we yeah. lost that, that tribal connection between men for, for in pockets, I should say, um, across uh, across the country and in, in the western world i feel like i i would agree with you i would totally agree with you it's one of the big to me it's one of the biggest um when i think about how do we get support for men that are looking to level up to get the edge if you will like support that band of brothers is one of the most um important ingredients to that accountability you know vision what are you doing where are you going how are you going to get there and then the support network and the accountability to get it done i totally agree yeah um, how are you doing on time? I'm good. Okay. Can you give us um, some insight into what guys can do to be uh, better fathers? 
Yeah. So there's, I mean, there's a lot we can do, right? Uh, but most importantly, what I think you, what, what men need to do is we, we say this all the time in the Alliance that isolation is the enemy of excellence. So finding your tribe, finding your band of brothers, finding that we always say it too, is if you're the smartest person in the room, you need to find a new room. You know, if you're surrounded by men, you know, they're the good old boys from college or high school and you have the same five conversations every single time you see them, which is how's work, how, how are the kids sports, you know, that kind of thing. How, you know, talk about current events, what Trump's tweeting out and that kind of thing. You need to find a tribe that you can have better conversations with because that's what men really want. Uh, so that's number one. Uh, number two, uh, be a, a husband first and a father second. Now I know that sounds counterintuitive and just make sure that you are on the exact same page with your wife and that she is, uh, she's a, a wife first and then a parent second. Not to say your kids aren't important. I'm talking like, you know, minuscule, like fractions, you know, lower than what I'm saying. But, but knowing that, um, knowing that you're a couple first that you're that she is your first priority uh and that you're constantly pursuing her constantly dating your wife important the way that my wife and i view our relationship is where the foundation and the kids are in the house so unless we take care of that foundation it doesn't matter how fancy or how whatever else or even the materialistic things that are in that house it's going to crumble sooner or later so pursuing your wife dating your wife that's another one uh self-care the third thing is self-care Take time. Men always have two excuses of why they don't take care of themselves, time and money. So, which is, you know, I don't have the time. That's not true. I mean, if you look at somebody like Richard Branson, you know, he's one of the wealthiest guys in the world. They say, what's your, what's your keys to success? And he says two words, work out, even though it's one word, (laughs) but, but work out, you know, exercise, do something for you, you know, do something physical for you. It will help you mentally. It'll help you spiritually and emotionally as well. Uh, but take that time, even, you know, Fork over some money, hire a trainer. You know, you do have the time. You just have to allow it. It will, it will absolutely pay dividends if you invest in your health. Mm-hmm. Uh, fourth thing is to invest in you, whether that's constantly reading, constantly consuming podcasts, cost, or you know, joining a mastermind, uh, doing something that's going to make you better is is absolutely key and pivotal. Uh, and then the final thing, and the, and this one, these aren't necessarily in rank order because relationship with your kids is really, really important. Uh, take time to really get to know your kids and ask them good questions. We said it earlier in the, in the interview, but, um, you know, the quality of our life depends on the quality of the questions we ask ourselves and of each other. So instead of asking your kids, how was your day? Like we always do, how was school? You know, ask them questions like, what was the best part of your day? What was the coolest thing that happened? If you could solve one problem today, what would it be? How would you do it? You know, just getting those conversations, getting those connections, you know, the, the foundation of even discipline is the connection you have with them because mm-hmm. the kids aren't really going to respond to discipline unless they feel that they actually have a bond with you. So those those are the five things that we that I would definitely say would will help you become a better man and father. I th- uh, what's interesting is that most of those aren't directly related to relating with your kids, except for the last one, obviously. Right. Um, I was just talking with a friend of mine yesterday as well about the idea of discipline and how a father providing the guardrails in life that children can kind of bump off of. And he he was, you know, he has a seven-year-old and he was struggling a little bit with his son was seemingly sort of depressed and sad or whatever. And we started talking about what kind of discipline 
uh, well, first we talked about he was going through a lot of things in his life right now, and his kids were reflecting his mood. He was going through some business uh, he was, lawsuits and things like that that was uh, taking a heavy toll on him, and his kids were reflecting that. So that often, when, when we look at our children, um, I heard somebody say the other day, oh, that's a red flag situation. Like, no, 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 that's a green flag for you to step up. <laughs> they're, they're just letting you know where you're sort of, where the holes are a little bit, because as I'm sure you know, your kids are such great mirrors in in your psyche and your energy levels, et cetera. And not that we're, you know, meant to be perfect because we're human beings too, but um, that was the first thing that we sort of covered with this friend of mine is, is let's be aware that he's probably reflecting your situation right now. But going back to the discipline for a second, like I have found that when I discipline specifically my son, very often later that night, maybe the next day, or it might be, you know, a couple days down the road where he'll give me an unsolicited, I love you, dad. And, and it's, it doesn't happen very often from him with my, with my daughter. It's every other word is I love you, dad. I love you too. sweetie." you know, it's whatever, but with my son, which is appropriate in my mind. And, and I don't, I don't take any offense to that or anything. It's it's just you might have heard this before, where a, a woman's love is special because it's unconditional, and a man's right. love is special because it's earned. And so yeah. when I think of that with my son, the fact that he will give me an unsolicited "I love you," it it feel the, the value in it feels greater because he doesn't say it all the time, and it and it was quote unquote earned. And a lot of times that earning was because I held him to a standard, I disciplined him, and I think he. You know he's not old enough to fully comprehend all of this, but I think he feels the love in that. He he sees that I care enough to give him boundaries to go. You're better than that, and you know what have you. So that discipline I think is key for our children today. Oh yeah, yeah, w- without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. Um. So let me see. I have a few other notes here. Um. There was something I was going to mention to you that it, I slipped my mind. Um. What other, if somebody's interested in hearing more about you and, and what you're up to, obviously we've mentioned a, a number of resources, but where can they go specifically online? Yeah, so to, you know, gooddadproject.com, uh, that's where pretty much everything is. You'll find the podcast there. You can find the Dad Edge podcast on iTunes. Uh, if you want to check out uh, our alliance, you can you can apply for that. It's at gooddadproject.com forward slash alliance. Uh, on Instagram, I'm, I'm the dad edge, uh, just all one word, the dad edge. Uh, and yeah, you can find me on Facebook or shoot me an email at Larry at gooddadproject.com. Awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Larry. It's been, uh, it's been awesome. The book of course is called the dad's edge, nine simple ways to have unlimited patience, improved relationships and positive lasting memories. Um, Larry, it's been a pleasure, man. Oh, a pleasure. Thank you, man. Thanks for having me. All right.